If you have your Bibles tonight, take them and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10. And I want to address the question tonight, why did Jesus come to planet Earth? Luke 19, verse 10. If you found your place, say amen. All right, put a smile on your face. Join me in standing as we honor the reading of God's Word. One verse tonight, fellas, one jumping off point, but it's a critical verse. Luke 19, verse 10, the speaker is Jesus, so I imagine it's pretty important. It says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Did Jesus come simply so that we could build churches and have Bible studies? Did he simply come so that we could fellowship and have activities? Did he come so that we could simply give our money to the poor and help the needy? Jesus said no. He said, I've come to earth for one and only one reason, and that is to seek and to save lost men. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you, and I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the souls that have been saved this week, the lives that have been changed. I'm so grateful, and I praise your name for that. But dear God, tonight I must confess that I feel as Jeremiah must have felt when he cried with a broken heart and said, the summer is over, the harvest is ended, and we are not saved. Dear God, tonight we have come to the last service. In a moment, we'll have the last invitation. And dear God, there are people here tonight who are unsaved. I pray, God, create a sense of urgency in their heart. Show them the danger of being lost, the urgency of being saved. Convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Reveal yourself in true salvation, I pray. Glorify yourself. I ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The Los Angeles County Chief of Transportation reports that each year in the county of Los Angeles, more than 50,000 articles are left behind on public transportation vehicles. These 50,000 articles are never claimed by their owners. These articles are lost. A few years ago, two of these articles left behind were little babies. Little babies left behind on city buses, never claimed by their parents again. These little babies were lost, just lost. In the city of Houston, Texas, the authorities there report that each month in the city of Houston, Texas, more than 40 teenagers are reported missing. And for all the authorities know, these teenagers never heard from again. These teenagers are lost just lost. A few years ago, I spoke at Lakeside Baptist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I gave these statistics about uh, Houston, Texas. When I gave the invitation that night, about 20 people came down to be saved. After the service, a man about 50 years of age came to me and said, William, tonight God spoke to my heart, and I repented. I was born again. He said, William, do you see that 14-year-old girl standing off to the side? He said, that's my daughter. She too came tonight, and she was saved. But he said, William, two weeks ago, my 14-year-old daughter was on the streets of Houston, Texas, lost. 
You see, my dear friends, the saddest word in all the Bible is this word, lost. It is the saddest word that Jesus ever spoke. To be lost means to be abandoned, to be forgotten, never to be heard from again. It is without a doubt the saddest word in all the Bible. And yet, if I were to describe some of you tonight, I would have to use this awful word lost to describe you. Because, you see, that's the word God uses to describe every single person who has not repented and turned from their sin, have received Christ by faith, and been supernaturally born of the Spirit of the living God. If you may have walked an aisle, you may have prayed a prayer, you may have been dunked in some water, you may have your name on a church roll. But if you have not done what the Bible says to do, and that is to repent and turn away from your rebellious life, take Christ by faith, and are supernaturally changed by God, then God uses this awful, awful word to describe you, lost. And dear friends, when God says you're lost, he's talking about your soul being lost. Now, fellas, you can lose a lot of things. You can lose your money. You can lose your job. You can lose your home. You can lose your life. But nothing is as bad as losing your soul. You see, your soul is the real you. Now, this old flesh and bone body that you walked in with tonight, that's not the real you. Now, some of you would say, well, praise God for that. No, the real you is inside that body. See, this old body is just a shell. It's just a casing. It's just an outer garment. The real you is inside that body. Your soul is comprised of your will, your intellect, your emotions. The soul is that part of you that God made in his own image. That soul is the part of you that God created to live forever. One day, this old body is going to stop working. It's going to die, and it's going to die sooner than you ever imagined, man. When this body dies and stops working, the soul man is going to leave that body and go on living somewhere else, either in a place called heaven or a place called hell. So when you lose your soul, you lose the real you. You lose the eternal part of you. You lose the God part of you. That's why it's so bad to be classified lost in the eyes of God. Now, you may be thinking, well, William, what exactly does it mean when the Bible says that God classifies a person lost? What exactly does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us to be lost means to be condemned already. The Bible says he that believes not is condemned already. Not later, not after you die, not at the judgment of God, but a man who is lost is condemned right here, right now, already. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that word condemned is a legal word. It's a courtroom word. It paints the picture of a man who's already had his trial and been found guilty for his crime. Have you ever seen a man on trial for his life? Joe Henry Hankins did. Joe Henry Hankins, the former pastor of First Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and later became a very famous evangelist. Joe Henry Hankins told the true story of when he was a teenage boy growing up in West Texas. There was a young man in his hometown who was on trial for murder. And so Joe Henry and his high school buddies, they went to the trial every day. They sat in that old hot courtroom, and they watched the lawyers present the evidence and make the arguments. They were there. The judge told the, sent the jury out to deliberate the fate of this young man. Joe Henry Hankins and his buddies sat there waiting for the jury to return. 
And Joe Henry Hankins said when the jury came back into the room, they could tell by the expression on everybody's face that something awful was about to happen. The foreman of the jury had a little piece of paper with a verdict written on it. And Joe Henry Hankins said that piece of paper began to shake like a leaf blowing in the wind. And the judge asked the foreman, have you reached a verdict yet? And the foreman said, yes, Your Honor. We find the defendant guilty as charged. A holy hush went across the crowd because the judge had already told everybody if the verdict comes back as guilty, what it means is this young man is going to die for his crime. Over here at the defense table sat the mother and the sister of the young man. When the verdict was read, the poor gray-haired mother stood to her feet. She gasped for breath, and she literally fainted and fell to the floor. The sister got up and began to scream and run out of the courtroom. She was screaming, my God, my God, condemned. And the sheriff came and put those handcuffs on that young man's wrist. And Joe Henry Hankins said when those iron bracelets clicked around his wrist, it sent a death chill down his back. And for years later, he would say, you know, if if it's that bad to see a man condemned to a physical death on earth, how bad do you think it's going to be to see a man condemned to eternal death? And that's what God is talking about. God looks down from heaven right now. He knows the real you. He knows every word you've said, every thought you've had, every deed you've done. You may have fooled everybody else, but you haven't fooled God. He knows the real you. God sees you as a man who's already had a trial. The evidence has already been presented against you. The jury has already deliberated your fate. They have already returned. They have declared you're guilty. The judge has already sentenced you to die in the eyes of God. You are exactly like a man who is sitting on death row, one heartbeat away from hell. That's what it means to be lost, condemned already. The Bible says it means even more than that. It means to be cursed by God. The Bible says a man who is lost is under the curse of God. The Bible says a man who is lost is under the wrath of God. Of God. You say, William, why in the world would God see me in such a horrifying condition? Why would God see me like a condemned criminal on death row? Why would I be under the curse of God or the wrath of God? I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I haven't done all that much bad. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I mean, I'm trying to live a good life. Why would God see me in such a horrifying condition as being lost and condemned? Well, a man is lost for several reasons. He's lost for what he has done, and then he is lost because of what he has not done. First of all, a man is lost because of what he has done. What have you done? What have we all done? We have sinned against God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. We have sinned against God. Now, here's the problem. We'd all agree that we've sinned. But you see, it's one thing for a man to tell you you're a sinner. It's another thing for God to tell you you're a sinner. And most people have never seen the enormity of their crimes against God. Most people don't realize how wicked and rebellious they've been against God. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What exactly is sin in the eyes of God? The Bible says sin is transgressing the law of God. Of God. Now, you may be one of those guys that say, man, I thought we lived under grace. We don't have to worry about the law anymore. My friend, nothing could be farther from the truth. 
The law I'm talking about is the moral law of God, those Ten Commandments. And the law of God was never designed to save a man. In fact, the Bible says no man has been saved by the law. The law of God is like a giant mirror that God holds it up for you to look into the mirror and see yourself in truth, to see yourself the way God sees you. Fellas, it's like going into the bathroom and you look into the mirror and you look in the mirror and the mirror reveals the dirt on your face. But you don't take the mirror and wash the dirt. You take the water and wash the dirt. The law of God is a mirror. You look into the perfect law of God not to get saved but that the law might reveal to you your sin against God. What is the law of God? Those Ten Commandments. Number one says, you shall have no other gods before me. That means, dear friends... If you have at any time in your life allowed anything in your life to be more important to you than God, you have broken the very first commandment. In fact, the Bible says you must love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. You must love God with such a passion that the love you have for your family would seem like hate compared to God. Now, who has loved God like that? Why, no one in this auditorium has loved God like that. We have broken that law a million times. The Bible says, number two, that we shall not make a graven image of God. Now, modern-day man does not make a graven image with his hands like little statues anymore. But what modern-day man does is he makes up a God in his mind. Most people who come to church, they worship a God of their own making, of their own understanding. But see, the only God that counts is the God of the Bible. And if your vision of God, your picture of God does not match the Bible, then you are worshiping an idol, a false God. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, William, she said, listen, my God uh, is a God of love. He'd never send anybody to hell. And I said, ma'am, you're exactly right. Your God would never send anybody to hell. He can't. He doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. See, the God of the Bible kills people. The God of the Bible is angry with the wicked every day. The God of the Bible has said, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And if your picture of God is some soft, milk toast, namby pammy thing that's going to allow you to live any way you want to live, you are worshiping a false God. You're breaking that commandment, friend, unless your idea of God matches what the Bible says. The third thing, commandment is, you shall not take God's name in vain. Now, I think I told you Sunday morning that you don't have to put the word down after God's name to be taking God's name in vain. Just say the God, the name God or Jesus, or Lord, or Christ, in any way that's not honoring and reverence to God, that's to take God's name in vain. When you see on television, they say, oh, my God, or Jesus Christ, good Lord, that's taking God's name in vain. That is a sin against God, and the Bible says this, any man who takes the name of God in vain, that man will not be innocent on the day of judgment. If you've ever taken God's name in vain, friend, you've broken that commandment, the next commandment says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That means you must set aside one day out of every week to do nothing but honor God and glorify God and reverence God with that day. If you've ever gone a week without setting aside a day to glorify God and honor God, you've broken that commandment. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother. If you've ever dishonored your parents in any way at any time, you've broken that commandment. The Bible says you shall not murder but Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is when a person has sexual relations with someone they're not married to. 
But like I told you before, you don't have to commit sexual intercourse to commit adultery. The Bible says you lust in your heart for someone you're not married to. You've committed adultery in your heart. That's why pornography is such a damnable sin because it produces adultery in the heart. If you're here and you're not married and you've had sex of any kind without marriage, the Bible calls that activity fornication, and the Bible says fornicators will not go to heaven. Adulterers do not go to heaven, the Bible says. The Bible says you shall not steal. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? No matter how long ago it happened, no matter how small the object was, my friend, if you've ever taken anything that didn't belong to you, then you're a thief in the eyes of God. The Bible says you shall not lie. If you've ever said anything in your life that was not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, then you've broken that commandment. You're a liar. The Bible says you shall not covet. You shall not lust for things and desire those things that God has not provided to your life. Now, dear friends, listen to me. When we look into the perfect law of God, we see the truth because the God of heaven demands, be ye perfect as I am perfect. God demands perfection. And when you look in the perfect law of God, the Bible says you break one law, you've broken them all. You break it one time, you've broken it a thousand times. When we look at the law of God, we've got to confess, I have broken the laws of God into a thousand pieces. And that's the purpose of the law, to show you who you really are. And a man is lost because of what he's done. He's knowingly and willingly rebelled against God. He's knowing lived a selfish and self-centered life. He's broken God's law. He's broken God's heart. He's rebelled against the king of the universe. And the wages of sin is death. Men are lost because of what they've done. They've sinned against the king of glory. But number two, they're lost because of what they have not done. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we deserve hell. Everybody in this auditorium deserves hell. If God sent all of us to hell right now, he'd be justified. We deserve it. But the Bible says God has mercy on us, and God wants to save us. But he must keep his word. He must punish our sin. So what God did was God sent a substitute. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus left the glory of heaven, and he came to planet earth. And Jesus took the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, our lying and cheating and lusting at heart. He took all of our sins upon himself and said, Father, you can punish me for what they've done. He took our sins and he went to a cross. He took our place. He died on that cross. He was buried in a tomb. And after three days, God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says, you've got a choice. God says, I lay before you life and death. He says, choose life. That means tonight, if you will confess, you're a sinner. If you will turn away from your sin and you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died for your sins and he's your only hope. If you'll believe on him, God will let the death of Christ be the payment for your sin. And if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then God holds you accountable for sin. And that means death and hell. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem. You have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you think you have. But see, there's different kinds of believing. There's believing in your head and believing in your heart. To believe in your head on Jesus means you believe facts about Jesus. 
You may believe Jesus is God. You may believe he was born of a virgin. You may believe he died on the cross for the sins of the world. You may believe he was buried in a tomb and raised from the dead. But my friend, the Bible teaches the devil believes in Jesus that way. The devil believes in Jesus. Did you know that? Well, the devil believes in Jesus more than some of you. The devil has talked to Jesus. He knows he's God. He knows he died for the sins of the world. But he has not believed with his heart. Salvation comes not with believing information, but believing with your heart. It is that, again, that Greek word, pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, means don't just believe information, but commit your life to it. Surrender your will to it. Unite and become one with God. Jesus fed the 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. Fed them, remember that, with a few fish and a few loaves of bread? They had been following him. He had been healing people and doing miracles. And he got through uh, feeding all these people. And he says, I want to talk to you guys. You followed me. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the sermons. You think you're my disciple. But let me tell you what it really means to be my disciple. He said, if you really want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, what did he mean? He meant just like we eat food and we digest it. And it becomes part of our body. That's the way Christ must be. You've got to take him and internalize him and unite with him and become one with him where you're just not living your life with Jesus. Jesus is living his life through you. He said, you've got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, unite with me and become with me. And you know what folks said? They said, this is hard preaching. And the Bible says they went away and followed him. No more. See, believing with your heart is more than just saying, I want my ticket to heaven. It's more than just saying, I don't want to go to hell. I'll come down here and pray to Jesus. To really believe with your heart the Lord Jesus Christ means, number one, you've got to come to a point where you know you're a sinner who deserves hell. Nobody gets saved until first they get honest with God about who they are. You've got to come to a point where you're going, oh, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. I've lived a selfish and self-centered life. I'm a rebel. I deserve hell. But, God, I want to change my mind. That's what repentance is. You've got to change your mind. Then you've got to change your affections. Then you've got to change your direction. You must turn from sin, turn from the world, turn even from your own self. You must repent. And then you must believe means I I want to receive Jesus. Jesus, you're my God. I want to serve you and trust you. You're my only hope, God. I want to live for you and love you and praise you and tell other men about you. You are God of my life. And when a man gets serious with God, God will get serious with him. And God will not only forgive him of his sins, but he'll put his spirit in that man's heart. And when a man gets the spirit of God, it produces a passion and a hunger and a desire to live for God. And most people have walked down the aisle and believed in Jesus only with their heads. And the proof is how they live their lives away from the church house. See, you are what you live. You don't have to tell me what you believe. Just let me watch your life and I'll tell you what you believe. You live what you believe. You spend your money on the things that you worship. When a man is truly born of God, he has a passion for God that not only shows up in the church house, it shows up uh, on his job, in the school, in his life, because God is God, and he loves him and serves him. It's a radical thing, friend, a supernatural thing, a total thing, and men are lost 
Because they've sinned against the king. They're condemned to a devil's hell, and they've not taken advantage of the, of the opportunity to find forgiveness. They've believed only with their head. They've not committed their lives to God, surrendered their will to God. Therefore, God says they are lost. The Bible says the gate that leads to heaven, fellows, is very, very narrow. And the Bible says only a few people are going to make it through the narrow gate. Well, what's the results of all this? When a man is lost, what's the results of it? Well, first of all, when a man is lost, he's lost in this life. The Bible says, for what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The Bible says, what good does it do if you could get all the real estate and the gold and the silver of the entire country? If you lost your soul in the process, you'd be making a bad bargain because the soul is a real you. And when you're lost, you're lost in this life. See, God does have a plan for your life. But you've got to be on God's side for that plan to work. And God's plan has not worked in your life. Oh, you, you've had a nice life. You live in America. This is a land of opportunity. Things are wonderful in America. You have a nice house and nice car. You, you're respected in the community. But your life hasn't really counted for God. You've not had an influence on the kingdom of God. You can't pray the power of God down. You don't have the ability to win men to Christ. You know about God, but you don't have that supernatural power. Oh, you eat and you drink and you work and you go to school, but your life is not counted for God. You're just lost in this life. But one day you'll be lost in death. Because the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die. You're going to die. See yourself there. Visualize yourself lying on your deathbed tonight. You're lying on your deathbed. There's a doctor there taking your pulse. Somebody in the distance asks the question, is he dead yet? You try to make a sound, but the words won't come. You try to lift your head, but you can't move. You're thirsty, but you can't let anybody know. You try to get up, but you can't move. And death puts his hand on your heart. And you begin to die. And in those last few moments of life, you remember. You remember every song about Jesus ever sung. You remember every sermon about Jesus you've ever been preached to you. You remember how the Holy Spirit had been dealing with you and you kept putting it off. You're going to remember that Wednesday night in Ruston, Louisiana when that preacher tried to get you saved. You're going to remember that you were going to get saved at another day. You'd put it off one more day and you'd die a lost soul. And then you'll be lost at the judgment because the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. When you die, you stand before God. Think about that for a moment. You will stand before the God who created you, the king of the universe, the God that judges the living and the dead. You will stand before God naked and alone. God will call your name. You will step out from the crowd and come forward to stand before God and give an account of your life here on planet earth. The Bible says the books will be opened. And every aspect of your life, both good and bad, recorded in the books to show what you've really done with your life. But there's another book. Over here, there's a single book, a solitary book. This one book is called the book of life. And written in this one book is the name of every true believer, every true Christian, every person who's really going to heaven. And the angel will begin to look for your name, line by line, column by column, page by page. But your name won't be there because you've played games with God. 
you've pretended with God. You have a religion, but you've never really given ownership of your life. God, and the angel will say, Lord, it's not there. And you're going to be so surprised. Oh, it's got to be there. When I was 10 years old, I went down and prayed that sinner's prayer. When I was 15, I asked Jesus into my heart. I mean, I've lived a good life. I've read my Bible. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I've got to be saved. And the Lord will say, for whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then you'll be lost for eternity. Lost in a place the Bible calls hell. Lost from the plan of God, the provisions of God, the protection of God. Just lost. And that's where some of you are. You're just lost. But praise God for Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, you may be lost. But the good news is... Jesus has come to save you. You see, tonight, you stand at the crossroads of your life. Tonight, you will make a choice. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose heaven or you can choose hell. But I promise you this, it will be the most important decision you've ever made several years ago in a little church in southwest Arkansas a little church that ran about a hundred people it was Sunday night the evangelist was pouring his heart to the people out about being saved and about being lost back here on my left all the way to the back there were a group of teenagers laughing and joking and passing notes not paying attention at all to the preacher and the leader of the group was a little 16 year old girl her daddy was chairman of the deacon she didn't want to come but her daddy made her come that night and the evangelist talked about being saved and about being lost he said you know you're at the crossroads of your life he said you may be lost but you don't have to stay lost he said what's your decision going to be you know what she did? Back there on that back row, she opened up one of the hymn books, took a small big point, ballpoint pen out of her purse and wrote in the front cover, I choose to stay lost. She left the service that night, took her very best friend home. Then she was headed to her daddy's little farmhouse, traveling on a little dirt country road. She came face to face with two brothers from her high school, driving an old beat-up pickup truck. They'd been out drinking all afternoon. Their truck was weaving on both sides of that little road. She slowed down. At the last moment, she pulled quickly off the road to avoid an accident. Her car went down an embankment. It rolled over on the top. She wasn't hurt. But she was pinned inside. The two brothers stopped the truck. They came back to help her. The older brother got down on his knees and said, Hey, are you okay? She said, Yeah, I'm fine, but I'm stuck. Can you get me out? The other brother went to the truck to get a winch-type device. They were going to attach it to her car and try to turn it right side up. The older brother was standing there drinking a beer. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a pack of cigarettes. What he didn't know was this. Even though the young girl was not hurt, when the car rolled over, the gasoline tank had ruptured. Gasoline was all over the grass. He pulled that cigarette out of his pocket. He put it in his mouth. He struck a match. He lit that cigarette. He dropped that match to the grass. It exploded in fire. The two brothers rushed the car time and time again trying to rescue the young girl, but the flames were too intense. And finally, the flames began to invade that car, and the flames began to consume that young girl's body. And she began to scream, somebody save me, I'm lost. Please, won't somebody save me, I'm lost. Help me, please, somebody save me, I'm lost. 
when the deputy sheriff got there that night, the older brother told him this. He said, I always thought when somebody burned to death that they would die quickly. He said, but it seemed like her screams went on forever. Somebody save me. I'm lost. Tonight, dear friends, is truly the opportunity of a lifetime. Because truly tonight, you stand at the crossroads of your life. You can choose life or death, heaven or hell. It is the greatest opportunity you'll ever have, I promise you. But whatever decision you make, I promise you, it will affect you for all eternity. And my prayer is that you'll choose life and come to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, my dear friends, let me ask you a personal question. For every single person, this question is for you. Don't worry about the person beside you or behind you. Draw a circle around yourself. This question is for you. Are you lost? Are you lost? Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Have you had a supernatural encounter with God? Have you turned away from your sin and been born of the Spirit of God? Oh, dear friends, are you lost? You may say, William, if you've been speaking tonight, God has been speaking to me. And William, I believe I am lost. I don't believe I've ever had that supernatural encounter with God. Oh, I've walked an aisle and prayed a a sinner's prayer. I've been baptized. But William, I've never really seen myself as that lawbreaker. I've never seen myself as that criminal against God, that anarchist that deserves hell. My heart's never really broken for the way I've treated God. William, tonight I'm seeing myself. I am a sinner. I am lost. But William, I don't want to be lost. I want to choose life tonight. I want to be saved by God. I want to be changed by God. And I want to leave this place knowing that should I die, I will go to heaven because God's real to me. But you say, William, I don't know what to do. What must I do to be saved? The Bible says, except you repent, you'll perish. That means if you want to be saved, you've got to, number one, change your mind. You've got to see that you've lived wrong against God, that you're a sinner. You've got to admit that. You've got to confess, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. You've got to confess it and turn away from your sin. You must repent. You cannot come to God hanging on to your sin. And then you must believe by taking Christ as Lord and Savior. Trust Him and only Him. And let Him save your soul. Let God put the Spirit inside you to live through you for His glory and His honor. You say, William, I want to do that more than anything else in the world. But I don't know what to say to God. I don't know what to pray to God. Well, I want to help you. I want to pray with you. I want to show you the narrow gate and show you how to get through that narrow gate. You can do it tonight. The way we're going to do it in one minute, we're going to stand to our feet. When we stand up to sing, I'm going to ask you if if God has spoken to you tonight and you realize that you are lost and you don't want to be lost, you want to be saved. Step out in the aisle uh, on the first verse. Come down here. We'll pray together. I'll show you how to be saved. I'll show you how to really meet God tonight, how to be born again. See, Jesus says this, men. He said, if you will confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But he warns us. He says, you've got to be careful. If you won't confess me before men, then I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. He's saying, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you. So by getting out of your seat and coming forward, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not ashamed. 
I'm not ashamed to let the people know that I'm coming to Christ. I've heard the voice of God. I want to truly be saved. Friend, if you're serious about coming to God, you'll be unashamed, unafraid to come. The way we're going to do it in one minute, we're going to stand. When we stand, we'll sing immediately. When we stand and sing, I want you to step out on the first verse. As soon as your knees straighten out. I'm going to ask you tonight in this last service, I'm going to ask you in the name of Jesus, to leave your seat and leave your sin. Come forward to be born again. Give God the glory and honor in your life beginning tonight.